My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning into the Age of Jeremy. You are listening to me, Jeremy Quintanilla, the host of The Age of Jeremy. Before we get started, if this is your first time on the podcast, make sure you do some amazing things for me and for the Age of Radio Network. If you could subscribe to my Twitter, that's Age of Jeremy Q on Twitter, Age of Jeremy Q. If you could subscribe to my Instagram at Age of Jeremy. If you can subscribe to the TikTok, the most the place where I like to hang out the most besides Twitter, TikTok, that's uh, Age of Jeremy on TikTok. And then if you could follow the Age of Radioverse on Instagram, that is Age of Radioverse, like universe, but Age of Radioverse on Instagram. If you could also do me another huge, 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 huge favor and follow my good friend, Coach John Vasquez, on CoachJV underscore on TikTok. You can also find him on Instagram. And my good friend, Kevin Anytime on Kevin Anytime on TikTok and on Instagram. They are taking the health and wellness and motivation space by storm and the cryptocurrency market by storm on our amazing cryptocurrency mindset and health. Private, 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 private online program known as 3T Warrior Academy. That is 3T Warrior Academy. Reach out to John, Coach JV underscore if you want to learn more. I'll throw go ahead and throw a little link because uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it later. But first, I wanted to talk about this GameStop. I didn't go into the news the last couple of times. I've been sick. Sorry this episode didn't air on the normal Wednesday. You're probably listening to this bad boy on, say, like a Friday. And uh, we'd like to release these every Wednesday. I was thinking about posting something um, so you guys can know that I wasn't going to have a full episode. But then I was just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to record this on Thursday. I got a little sick this last Monday and I wanted to uh, take the day off and sleep. Took half the day off and slept. Tuesday took the other half of the day off and slept. And then I played some Beat Saber on my new Oculus. Beat Saber is amazing. In fact, last night I bought the BTS Dynamite song. Who doesn't love Korean pop? K-pop. That's what I call my multi-poo Kylo. I call him K-pop. And my niece gets annoyed at me because... She doesn't like K-pop music, I guess. I don't know. Uh, she's, you know, teenager. They don't like the cool stuff. I just like that song Dynamite. But that being said, getting back into a normal, you know, a normal stream of things, we got this. We got GameStop. Who thought GameStop was over? What is going on? This is crazy. So GameStop, and again, Market Watch, where you should get your market news. Market Watch, GameStop Corp. Shares jumped for a second day Thursday. A momentum surrounding the stock continued to build and and the derivative market activity heated up. So it's up 19%. It's running at about 108.73. My guess is people are trying to, well, I don't know. This is my guess. People are trying to push a buy to get their prices back up for the people that lost money. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because if you, 
And I'm not going to talk about it right this moment, but I'm not a big fan of speculative investing. I'm not a day trader. I can't specifically day trade because of my daytime job, which is slowly going to go the way of me hopefully moving over and doing my own investment business, doing my own 3T fitness business, and then my pride and joy, my current passion project, Age of Radio, and building that into a medium behemoth, which you guys all get to understand, or not understand, it's probably not the best word, you all get a piece of that when you listen to the Age of Jeremy podcast, but the thing with the GameStop is that, or speculative investing, is that you're just trying to turn a profit, right? One of the things that I was talking about with small businesses and people that I'm talking to about building their podcast and building their small business or their business in general is that you shouldn't really, you need to turn a profit, right? You need to lower the expenses. You need to turn a profit. You need to hire people. You need to build good organizational structure, build a good culture and all this other stuff. But if you're not going out and trying to do something amazing, you are just you might get money, but you're not going to, there's this quote by Elon Musk and sometimes Elon Musk pisses me off. Other times he doesn't piss me off. And the thing that, um, and again, I don't even know him. So it doesn't really matter if he pisses me off or not. He's, um, uh, when it comes to software engineering and industrial engineering is a genius. And so when Elon Musk is doing, when, when Elon Musk is building his companies, he says that the, the biggest problems that get solved in the world or the most difficult problems that get solved in the world result in the, the most wealth or the most riches. And if we look at the things that he's done, that's the reason why he's the wealthiest. If we look at the things that Jeff Bezos has done with how he's changed the way that e-commerce works with shipping and with, uh, with uh, Amazon, you can see that that wealth is there, that, that massive wealth, because some of the world's hardest problems got solved. More importantly with Jeff Bezos, probably more AWS rather than with, say, um, with Amazon itself. AWS, I think, has done far more for the world than anything else that Amazon has done. Now, that being said, I don't know if I don't know if flipping stuff or flipping houses or, uh, you know, selling multi-level marketing things, those are the things that I want to do. I want to build, build good companies. I want to get into government governance. And I encourage all of you to research and do those things as well and, and build really good businesses that solve really hard problems. And so, so that being said, speculative investing isn't something that I'm really super interested in. I like investing for the long haul. And if I were to get wealthy enough to have a ridiculous amount of money where I can buy large portions of companies, either institutionally, like as an institutional investor, and they get board, uh, board seats, that's something that I would be interested in. That's what I want to do, right? And I encourage you to get into that as well, because the way that we run companies these days is just garbage. Um, I found this fantastic book from the Family Business Group. It's called Building Successful Family Business Boards. And there's so there's some stuff in here that says that no matter the size of your business, technically, legally, you should have a board, uh, especially if you have a corporation, whether that's taxed as an S-corp or as a C-corp, you have to have a 
you have to have a, a board. Now, it can be on paper, but the companies that have active boards where you meet, you know, five or six times a year and they're really involved with the strategic planning, those companies can outlast and outdo other companies. So I encourage you to invest or to look into that family um, family uh, business group. And uh, this book's called Building a Successful Family Business Board. It's a Chicago-based company. My family's from Illinois. I would love to say that I'm from Illinois. I'm not. I was born and raised in Arizona. But if I could be part of Chicago in any way whatsoever, I would love to be. My family's from Mendota. Um, but Jennifer Pendergrass, John L. Ward. John L. Ward is who the Kellogg Family Business um, Center Institute is named after. So um, I haven't read this full book. I read chapter one. Sounds amazing. You should go pick it up. Back to speculative investing. I think that they're trying to run up GME, GME stock or GameStop stock so that they can make back the, their losses. Um, I don't think that this was an FU to Wall Street. I don't buy in any of that. I think there were some people that saw the uh, ridiculous position that a lot of these um, hedge funds had on their short positions. They took advantage of it. They took advantage of uh, the consumers, um, consumer investors, and got them excited, got them a part of something that a bunch of people made a shitload of money. And then when the consumers bought in too late, they lost most of their money or they couldn't get out or sell their position uh, in a timely manner. And so... So I'm not really, I'm not really, I think GameStop has a lot of work to do um, to, to be a competitive company, um, especially when you look at something like Microsoft Game Pass and how Microsoft is changing, how you can play on different devices. It's like Microsoft is working where you buy their their game pass, you get all of these games. They bought Bethesda. Um, so you're going to have probably exclusivity to Microsoft with games like uh, Fallout, games like Skyrim or um, Elder Scrolls. And so you have these company, you have these companies that Microsoft's buying, building this really great portfolio of video games. They're going to offer them on Game Pass. You pay a monthly subscription to Game Pass and you can play all of these games stream to whatever device that you're on, whether you're on an Xbox X, Xbox S, uh, your phone. So I think that it's going to be very difficult for, I think, Gamefly is what GameStop owns. If not, I do apologize, but they own a similar streaming game service. It's going to be hard to break into that market because I feel that Microsoft's going to dominate it. Um, and I don't think Sony's going to want it to come in there. I think it would be better if, me personally, I think it would be more interesting if a larger company, say Sony, maybe even Sega, came in and bought GameStop and then changed the dynamic of what GameStop offers and maybe have arcades in them or like games that you could play inside of there um, and then sell the things that they're doing. And then if it was something like Sony, then maybe make all of that Gamefly stuff specific to PlayStation um, and they could get subscribers that way to it. But again, I don't know what their strategic plan is. So that's just going on in the market. I would just take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt if you're investing. Um, don't buy into hype. Make strong and smart investing decisions and always reach out to a financial advisor or do your research and then buy. I think a lot of people that get into this whole consumer investing thing, they go in there and they don't know what they're doing and they buy incorrectly and lose money. Um, or buy at the wrong time and lose money, or don't hold it long enough, or don't sell it right. And it, it, it makes sense for there to be financial advisors. But you have to have a good financial advisor, because any dumb fuck, excuse my language, can become a financial advisor, um, as you can see on TikTok. Um, and that's what you don't want.
Now, that being said, if we also look at what's going on in the uh, world today, you can see that um, the other news piece that I want, and again, there's going to be links down in the description for these, but if we look at MarketWatch, three reasons the rise in bond yields is gaining steam and rattling the stock market. So if you don't know how a bond works, I'm going to try to explain as briefly as I can, but... The way that a bond works is, is the yields rise, okay, um, traditionally the treasury yields. Um, as, the traditionally, as the treasury yields rise, the bonds, bonds of the prices fall. So they're inversely related. So if you see yields going up like they did on Thursday, today, that I'm recording this, uh, the treasury yield went from 1.491 to it raised 13 basis points to 1.51%, Okay which is hitting a threshold um, and not a lot of people know, uh, not a lot of people were expecting this piece of it. So as those yields went up, the bond on the secondary market, those bond prices decrease. So people start trying to sell their bonds. So in, in good times, essentially the yields go low, people buy those uh, bonds as they continue to go lower because the price goes up. And if the price, the yields didn't go up and the price goes down, people sell it. Similar to how we can think of the stock price rising and stock price selling. So it's really hard to pinpoint the exact reason for this specific surge. Um, but some of the things that could be related to it and things that you need to know about is say like inflation. For many, a rising inflation expectations are the simplest reason for the yield, the yields going up. So the combination of the recovering U.S. economy, thanks to the vaccination efforts, trillions in fiscal relief, and accommodative monetary policy are expected to deliver the kind of inflation that has, hasn't been seen since the 2008 financial crisis. So when that inflation goes up, you traditionally will see um, the yields rise. And when the yields rise, the bonds go down and people start selling off on the bond market. Um, the other reason is insufficient Fed action. So the lack of willingness on the part of the central bank to lean against the rising bond yield has emboldened the bond bears, the, the bond bear market. So it, what could happen is that the Fed could step in and take action on this to help to help change the way that the yields are. And if they're not doing that, then the yield and they're raising those yield prices, then essentially they're sig signaling that the bonds should sell and people then start selling those bonds. So Fed Chairman Jerome Powell underlined that the central bank would support the economy for as long as necessary and that the Fed would clearly communicate well in advance when it starts to contemplate tapering asset purchases. And uh, Ed Al Husseini, senior interest rate and currency analyst at Columbia um, Threadneedle Investments, uh, said that this is just all talk. So Al Husseini said, until the central bank backs up its words with concrete actions, such as tweaking its asset purchase, yields could keep moving higher. So if the if the Fed decides to start looking at how it's doing at assets purchases, then the yields will continually go up. And when those yields are going to continually go up, then people are going to sell off the bonds, um, which is kind of <laughs> kind of interesting because if you're seeing that these bonds are falling and people are selling them off, then more people are going to take their money and put it into equities, which are like stocks. Okay. And the problem is, is if the stock market's not doing well and and people are selling off the bonds and the bond prices are going down, but then people aren't taking that money and putting it into stocks, then you don't have a uh, 
strong economy. <laughs> and so the idea would be that if they're selling off these stocks, rather than keeping that money as cash, they're going to start putting that money into the stock market. So in theory, we could say that it's a good idea to start push, putting more of your money into the stock market, right? Into the S&P 500, into the NASDAQ, or into um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. <laughs> and you should see those continue to go up. But as if you saw today, <laughs> the stock market um, ended uh, down. Um, in fact, it was down, let's see here. Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.75%. S&P 500 was down 2.45%. And the NASDAQ was down 3.52%. So, um, not, I really don't know where to put money if bond market's going down and the stock market's going down. Um, one of the other reasons why the bond market could be selling is forced sellers. Market participants also suggested yields were moving beyond fundamental forces and that the inflation fears weren't enough to explain why rates were moving up at such a ferocious pace. A lot of this move is technical. Gregory Ferneo, head of U.S. Rates and Amerivet Securities, told Market Watch. And again, we get all of our in information from Market Watch, a big fan of Wall Street Journal, Hate Fox. Um, um, uh, but, uh, or News Corp, big fan of uh, Market Watch, Wall Street Journal, and Barron's, however. Um, so if you want to uh, get uh, a good uh, lesson on how Fox works, you can watch that show Succession, because a lot of people believe that it's based on News Corp. Um, I think it's News Corp. Yeah, if I'm wrong, just forget that I said anything. All right. So, um, this is going to lead me into kind of what I wanted to talk about today. So I wanted to talk about like why you should put your money in stocks and why you should put your money in bonds and how digital currency and commodities kind of play a role in this. And it's something that we don't hear a lot about because a lot of the times that we focus on in speculative investing, but with the news this today, I say, don't go out and buy GameStop unless you just have money to throw away. Okay, don't buy into these these emotions of stuff going up and stuff going down and buying and selling speculative investing um, is good for high frequency traders, I suppose, and also good for regular day traders. So if you want to get into day trading, I suggest get like a day trading for dummies book, read up on it, get some good software and get some good technical analysis and charting information. But for the regular investor, for someone who's trying to build wealth, I wouldn't really put too much, I guess, stock in speculative investing. Uh, and then when it comes to bonds, I mean, we might be in a bear bond market, which means that technically equity should be doing really, really well. So you should start buying uh, some, some stock or some index funds or ETFs, exchange traded funds that are based off of the overall uh, stock market, such as the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500, and just let your money sit there because you'll should on average get around an 8% return. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hope you heard some really fun commercials. Uh, speaking of commercials, if you want to earn some revenue from Age of Radio, um, we encourage you, if you want to start a podcast, start your podcast with Age of Radio. Reach out to me, Jeremy Quintanilla. That's jeremy.quintanilla at ageofradio.org. Or head on over to our Twitter feed at Age of Radio and uh, just drop us a message. And Joey or myself, Joey's our senior 
podcast network development officers. I think I'm one of changing his title to as we bring on some more people. Um, if uh, you want to join the Age of Radio Network, you get free podcast hosting on Age of Radio. Um, you get uh, access to the platform that we license, a megaphone platform owned by Spotify. Um, is what it is. Megaphone's a great platform. Spotify technically is a great company, one of my competitors, and one day I will beat them. So Spotify, if you're listening, don't kick us off a megaphone. I'm just kidding. Um, they won't because uh, they like our money. At least I think they like our money. If they don't like our money one day and they kick us off, then I guess we'll have to go figure something else out until we make our own. Uh, uh, but what we do, the reason why we can give the hosting away for free is you put in ads like the ones that you heard here and you get 60% of the revenue that we get from Megaphone. And then if your podcast gets a thousand downloads or more, an episode, um, you get access to some of our, um, uh, podcast uh, sponsors uh, like uh, now the stereo app is now a sponsor of mysterious circumstances. Um, also best fiends is a sponsor of one of our shows, color me dead, mysterious circumstances, uh, true crime trucker at one point in time. Um, and then also with murder under the midnight sun. Um, and we're working to always get new partnerships as we continue to grow. The more podcasts that we have, the more that we can grow, the more your show can grow. Um, and once you get to that thousand, a download a episode mark, it gets a lot easier easier to sell um, your show to some of these sponsors to do some host read sponsorships. So portfolio analysis. I was uh, that 3T Warrior Academy um, that uh, John Vasquez teaches. And uh, he does some stuff with Kevin anytime there. We got our cryptocurrency uh, stuff that's going on with that. And I wanted to just kind of John asked me to uh, start talking a, a little bit about and do some videos for the program regarding uh, generational wealth and uh, and talk about uh, more get get more we we always want to add more stuff to the program right you know we we get uh, four or five people it's almost like I look sometimes look at it and I feel like we're getting like one person an hour. <laughs> Um, on some days and then we just wake up and you know there's money in the account and that's great and we're helping a lot of people and changing lives and so forth and so we always want to keep adding stuff to make this to make the platform better for people and so john into introduce the cryptocurrencies um we're working on another cryptocurrency uh, pl- uh, uh educational piece for it um and he wanted me to talk a little bit about how you could structure your investments um how you can get ben- how you can benefit from having business entities created so that you can write off more expenses lower your tax liability and i'm a very big advocate of taxes. So don't get me wrong there. Um, I think taxes do a lot of good, um, but I'm a realist. And uh, the job of financial advisor, in my opinion, is to do what clients want. And a lot of clients want to reduce their tax liability for lots of reasons. Sometimes they don't want to pay it, right? Um, They don't like paying taxes to the government. Uh, They're anti-taxes. And technically, I, if you don't know me, I'm very far left-leaning and I'm anti- um, I'm anti-government as far as control goes, but I am very for governance. And so if people don't want to pay taxes, I'm not going to stop them. We have lots of tax code that allows for us, if they have the money and they can get a smart advisor, that can reduce their tax liability. And so we want to introduce that into the program. And so I was coming, and then the other reason why some people want to do it, like myself, is I want to do a lot of good with my money 
and I can do a much better job than the government can. And so one of the in- instruments or entities that have been created for that are family, um, family um, foundations, where family foundations lets you keep more of your money and you keep control of it and you have to either write grants, for the most part, you're traditionally doing grant writing and donating that money. And so that's a better use of your money when you have control over it and can do what you want to make the world better rather than having to give that money to the government and them being ridiculous with some of their, um, with what people think are inefficiencies. I don't think the government has as many inefficiencies as people think that they do. Um, but the way that it's portrayed is that they do. And so those are usually traditionally the reasons that you want to get your tax liability reduced, um, or you want to create a way for you to pass on that wealth to your children or to your grandchildren or to other members of your family or have that generational wealth continue. Right. And so, so we want to make sure that we're educating people in regards to this, because I feel that the number one thing that a financial advisor can do, and if your financial advisor can't do this or doesn't know how to do this, then you need to get a new financial advisor, and that is reduce your tax liability. Because you will ha- save more money in your life reducing your tax liability, in my opinion, than any other thing that your invest- your uh, investor can do. That, that goes speculative investing, that goes hedge fund, whatever. Tax liability reduction is the number one thing that a financial advisor should be able to do for you. And we want to be able to provide that to our people that are part of our program. So I was sitting and I was writing about a bunch of this and coming up with notes and things that I wanted to talk about. And one of the things that kept coming over was portfolio analysis. And the reason why portfolio analysis is important is because I don't really think that people understand how to create a portfolio of stocks and bonds, okay, and commodities and digital currencies now and uh, art, um, real estate, things like that. And um, so I kind of wanted to, to talk a little bit about that today. And I wanted to talk about the the one of the main rules of portfolio analysis, and that is how to structure your equities and your debt. And so before, when we were talking about a bond, a bond is essentially debt that you're giving to a company and they pay you a coupon payment, usually twice a year. Um, and that's like your interest for it, right? So you get that coupon payment, um, that bond can change value on the aftermarket and sell, and hence the bond market's off to a sell. So all that debt's trying to be sold. And then the person that buys that debt, then they get their interest payment or coupon payment from whoever holds the whoever holds the um, whoever they they whoever owes them the the money back for that bond. And so one of the things that we never talk about are bonds, and I don't understand why, because they are a very safe investment. And that's the reason why as you get uh, older, you traditionally move a lot of your money more towards debt. And the traditional rule of thumb is you want to take the number 100, right? Um, and subtract it from your current age. So for instance, if we did this and I think that I'm going to live to, you know, say 100. Um, and so you take a hundred, you subtract my age, that's 37. So I have about 63% of my portfolio should be in debt or I'm sorry, 63% of my portfolio should be in stocks. Okay. And then as you gain age, right? As you grow older, that stock amount goes down and you invest more into more secure things like say debt. And those would be bonds. Okay. 
So that's the number one thing. Most people don't do this because most people don't even know how to buy bonds. And it's interesting because I have my IRA through, um, I have my uh, IRA through Wells Trade. Okay. Uh, Wells Trade is a trading platform by Wells Fargo, but it only lets you invest in stocks, options, and ETFs. Okay. So how do you buy bonds? Well, you would have to get a better broker dealer trading platforms such as like TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab, and you can usually go and buy the bonds. Now, bonds, based off of the yield and how they're calculated, you can buy them at about a thousand bucks a pop. Okay. So if you don't have a thousand dollars to buy the bonds, or sometimes you can buy them at a discount, like 800, right? As the the interest rate yield goes up, those bond numbers go down. I'm sorry, as those interest yields go up, the price of the bonds go down and you can buy them. And that's how they're sold at a discount. Sometimes when that yield goes high and they're calculated, you have to buy them at a surplus. Okay. And so, so, but traditionally a bond's priced at say a thousand. Now, People spend a lot of their lives learning about the bond market and investing in bonds, but we don't talk about it at all. And bonds are something that you should be into. But if you can't say buy like 10 bonds at $800, you know, then you have interesting things that are exchange traded funds, which allow you to buy into the bond market, right? Say treasury bonds, corporate AAA bonds. I don't think they go much past B bonds because then you get into junk territory. And so these bonds, right? These bonds are another way to add to your portfolio because they're more secure, right? And the reason why they're more secure is because you're getting that coupon payment, right? So you're getting interest paid on it. Now they can be less secure, like when the value goes down. That's why people on the aftermarket sell them off so they can get their money because they're going to lose value based off of the price that they bought them in and then how the bond gets recalculated. But but for the most part, when we think of treasury bonds, those are more secure because they're backed by the U.S. government. And sometimes they can be backed by corporations. Um, and the better the corporation, right, the more likely you're going to pay, get interest from that bond. But that interest isn't going to get very high because they're a safer you know, bet for you to invest in. Um, and so exchange traded funds, what they do is they build, you know, they have a fund out there, has a bunch of money into it. They buy p- bunches of these bonds, right? And then they sell those off as like almost a stock price price. And, and that's how I invest in bonds is through ETS for my IRA portfolio. And as we open up our trade, uh, uh, TD Ameritrade, um, Thinkorswim platform, um, or buy that platform to get into more investing and offering investment services to people or advice, then, or that's me personally, not, not 3T Fitness, um, <clears throat> then then you have the ability to look at that portfolio and structure. There are a lot of great tools out there if you want to get into this. And so that's the first, that's the number one thing about that portfolio is you want to have some of your money in that debt. And then the other portion of your money you want to have in good equities. But the problem that we get stuck into in traditional thinking is we only buy American companies. Um, There are a lot of great international companies that do very well, like Yamaha Corporation. There's Novo Nordisk, which is a pharmaceutical company that makes my favorite insulin. Uh, You heard me right, my favorite insulin. It's Novolog and Traceba. 
And because uh, I have type one diabetes, and so the, we don't think about how we invest in internationally. And that's one of the things that we need to think about as consumer investors is how can we invest internationally because there's lots of untapped potential and you don't just get caught in the U.S. economy because there are other great economies like Canada. Um, and then there's also these international businesses. And if they don't sell their stock on our exchange, then you have to be able to get on their exchange Um and buy their stock. And some platforms, I think E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, they offer you the ability, I think, to buy on those markets. I'm not 100% sure. It's been a long time since I had just a regular E-Trade account. Um, and most of my stuff has been going into my IRA or to my 401k plan. And as we're moving into this new generational wealth building piece and getting older, it's time for me to go back to one of my passions, which is finance and investing and start building that massive amounts of wealth because we're building really good operating companies that are leading to massive amounts of wealth. And so, and I want to continue to do this. So my generation always has jobs. We're building good family, strong build, uh, uh, families, strong family businesses, strong family operating businesses, and hopefully reinvigorating the Glendale, Arizona area into a tech center and destroying Phoenix. It's just me just talking and dreaming. Now, <clears throat> that being said, when we think about when we think about this, you know, you want to look at, um, so that's the first piece of portfolio analysis to find out how much should be in stocks, right? And then once you do that, you can research and see how much of your money should be in commodities. And then within that commodities piece, how much of your money should be in, say, um, crops, how much of your money should be in, say, cows, um, how much of your money should be in, say, grain, how much of your money should be in the dollar, gold, silver, um, and so forth, and then how much money you want to have in foreign exchange, how much money you want to have in digital currencies, because those are realistic currencies. The problem with the digital currency market is it's just a ginormous fuck of uh, fucking, excuse my language, and I promised my mom would stop swearing, but it's a giant fucking clusterfuck of all kinds of stupid shit, because any fucking idiot who can fucking program and learn how blockchain works can write and create and mint a goddamn coin. And so the problem with the digital currencies is just so much of it. So you have to look, and I keep stressing this, that you have to look at some of the underlying products that are being built with this, right? And so when we look at products like Dash, when we look at products like Cosmos, when we looked at products from, um, t I think it's Tendermint, or something along those lines, which owns Cosmos or vice versa. Um, when we look at Ethereum and when we look at Bitcoin, those are really strong companies that are underneath it. They're not these meme fucking coins like Dogecoin. And fun story, my niece had to tell me how to say that because I didn't know what the fuck the meme was. And so like when we look at these, Ethereum has the best platform. So I'm a very big proponent of an Ethereum. Do I think it's going to get to $20,000? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to be this year? I have no idea. But it'll continue to go as more and more companies look to Ethereum to use their blockchain to buy, to, to create their product, right? And then the same thing with Dash, the same thing with Litecoin. And so the, the the thing with the speculative piece is people are just going and buying stuff and they're basing it off of just seeing a trend. The, the, the thing is that there's, there's stuff, there is some value in trending and in charting, right? <coughs> 
And you can find good times to buy in with that, right? And you can you can look at it to find out how you're going to sell your position, right? If the market signals something that you can't otherwise see, okay? And and you there is some with that, but a lot of the investors are just looking at the chart, seeing that it's going up, seeing it's going down, and in the long run, it's going up, and they buy it, and they get scared, and they sell it. And this is the, the emotional up and down heaval, right, that goes with consumer speculative investing, so once you get an idea where you want to, you know, where you want your money to be, then you can look to see what kind of returns that those companies have produced over time. And from that, you can get a good idea based off of the percentage of your portfolio that's made up of those you know, different investments, what percentage they've yielded, and get an idea of what type of percentage this portfolio might yield, right, over the next 10 years. Now, that doesn't mean that the previous 10 years, right, that is going to replicate itself. But when you look at this, you can look and say, okay, this portfolio might yield this in the future. This is what it's yielding now. And if you look at that percentage, right? Because it's broken out with all of these different investments, that number might be higher than the S&P 500 percentage increase. It might be higher than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It might be higher than, say, the NASDAQ. And if you did that, then that means your portfolio is beating the market. Okay. But how you calculate that is through how much percentage of that investment and what that percentage yielded. And so we don't talk enough about this type of investing, and we definitely don't talk about the essentials, the essentials of that type of investing. And if you, if you, if you know me, and if you listen to this podcast, I am a very big proponent of education. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and tell kids that they shouldn't go to college. I think every single person in the United States should go to college. I do not, do not, I will never change my mind on that. <laughs> as far as I can think um, about it. But the problem arises when the problem with education arises when the private institutions become money-making machines and the public institutions just become money-making machines. Um, You can take on a ridiculous amount of debt. And if you don't have a plan to manage that debt, then it can seem like a problem. But no matter what you're doing, you it is very beneficial for every individual to go to college and get a college education. And and if I had it my way and we could give that college education to everybody for free, I would. Uh, we think that everybody needs to have a high school education. Why would it be any different for a college education? Um, and so the reason why I bring that up is because one of the ways that I try to learn stuff when I don't know it, right, if I can't buy into a class, like right now I'm taking my Java programming class so I can A, help manage software developers and B, make the first age of radio app and get the money to start hiring in software developers. Um, I also am taking a big bet on software and I really believe that the future is going to be having more and more people understand software. And that's something that I'm a proponent for in my family. And I hope that we can have many, many engineers in my family as part of their education into the future, um, along with business education. Now, that being said, when the reason the 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 when I can't afford to say pay for a class or don't want to pay for it, the next best thing is textbooks. Textbooks are expensive, but textbooks teach you just so much, just so much. And if I could recommend, this is the textbook that I use, so I'm kind of you know, uh, kind of a. Uh, uh, bias to it, but I learned so much from this. And if I had kept up with my finance 
finance dreams and love for it and love for investing and analysis after college, I would be so much more wealthy uh, than I currently am. But the book that I have here, it's called Essentials of Investments. Now it's on the seventh edition or the book I have is the seventh edition. It's on its 11th edition, 150 bucks, probably maybe 200 bucks. I know that's a lot, but you could buy this, read it, and have such a great understanding of an of investment theory and you can start building your own portfolio like i'm looking at chapter six and looking at efficient diversification and it talks about the the uh rate of return on the portfolio like this here the uh, the rule one the rate of return on the portfolio is a weighted average of the returns on the component securities and that's what i was just talking to you about right there um a moment ago was that if we look at the return of the securities and we weight them proportionately to based off of the the return that they're getting, then we add those together and that's going to tell us the return of the portfolio. Um, and so I really encourage you to get that textbook, Essentials of Investments, um, or just, you know, do an Amazon search and look for portfolio analysis. Because rather than going out there and just buying shit because Robinhood's pushing stuff at us and Weeble is pushing shit at us, get a good understanding of how to build an actual portfolio um, and then not only if you use a financial advisor in the future, not only will they not be able to take advantage of you because you understand this, right? You may not even need to pay for that financial advisor because you could build your own portfolio or maybe find an online class that talks about portfolio analysis on investments. That's really the only class that you need. I mean, in all of finance, besides derivatives and foreign international, um, international finance, which I took as an elective and then the derivatives of, as an elective, um, that's the only part book that you really learn about portfolio analysis. There's one textbook, right? It's one class that you need to get the full understanding of portfolio analysis. Same thing with an MBA. <laughs> Same shit that they teach you on an MBA. It's not a lot. It's like five or hundred pages maybe. And then there's just an amazing uh, 703 pages including the appendix. You could learn all of this in no time at all, right? You know, just spend a day or two two or three days a week, or I don't know, two or three hours a week. I don't know how long it would take you to go through this. We had to go through most of it, but like some of the other, por- uh, the, like some of the other formulas that they don't talk about performance evaluations, like you can use Sharpe's measures, trainer's measure, alpha uh, or Jensen's measure. That's one of the ones that I want to teach in the class, hopefully and, and talk, because if you can build portfolios that might be able to return a positive alpha, that means you made a portfolio that can beat the market. And that's what hedge funds kind of seek. There's this whole thing called seeking alpha. If you can go, online, look up Seeking Alpha. Um, it's a website, but it talks about all kinds of other investment stuff. But you know, that's what hedge funds are trying to do. Whatever they're trying to do, they're trying to create a portfolio of stuff that beats the market. Okay. And one of the things that wealthy people do that non-wealthy people do is they look at other types of investments, right? Musical instruments, <laughs> art, um, physical coin, physical, uh, coin, um, uh, um, real estate, um, that's, that's, uh, commercial real estate and, uh, residential real estate. Like there are lots of other things that you can be using to build your portfolio. Like I have my guitar collection. Those will go up in value. Um, I have my, I have, uh, I had a coin collection. I lost it. That would have gone up in value. It was all the dimes, silver. They were all organized in this cool little book but I don't know what happened to that. Uh, so when we, th- so there's all so much stuff that can go into other parts of investing. And I encourage you to read up on that, but if you can get this essentials of investing, um, and then also, uh, 
educate yourself when you don't know something, you will outdo all of your friends and partners and almost everything that you do. And then this is super important for business owners because you can also build a strong portfolio with the cash reserves that you have, right? You don't want all of your cash sitting in your business checking account. You want to take some of that cash because your business grows and build a strong portfolio with it. And so that portfolio analysis is the same. And that's where institutional um, investing comes in. Well, well, not institutional investing specifically, but where um, in two advisors for businesses can come in and look at how they can take that money and see how they can build a strong portfolio with it or take some of that money and buy invest in up and coming brands or companies that are similar in nature to what you're doing, but maybe offer a different revenue stream. There is so much that you can do as you start gaining money. But the the number one thing that I always say, and I want to end with this is nothing will get you wealthier than starting and owning operating companies. When you own operating companies, you will get wealthy because the operating company returns a profit that you have a percentage of. And then if that company sells, you get that percentage. Like age of radio is worth about last time I looked is looking at about 60, $80,000 is what I could probably sell age of radio for. Then that's up from like, I don't know, $5,000 from the year before. Right? So if, if that continues to go up and let's say in a couple of years, which well, which age of radio will, be doing in the million dollar range, right? When it's doing that million dollars, it could be worth like maybe seven or $8 million, right? I'm not the business. And that's my number one goal. I don't want to be the business. I want to own the business. And let's say I, the family decided that we wanted to sell that entity. We could sell it for that seven or eight, nine, $10 million. And then my percentage of ownership, which is like 67% of the company, I get 67% of that money, which is about six or $7 million. And if it goes up, you get more of that. And that's how people build that strong wealth is those valuation of those operating companies that they own those percentages in because more valuable. That's why the number one thing that you can do to build wealth, and I continue and I continue to stress this, is start and run operating companies. From that, take your cash reserves and invest wisely by being mindful and thoughtful about investing and utilizing proper portfolio analysis or portfolio um, uh, portfolio investment strategies um, where you have a certain percentage in stocks and a certain percentage in equities. And I digress I will talk to you next week. You guys have a great, great, great weekend. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.